Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. We are in our 20th or 21st year here on Voice America, one of the first shows that was on Voice America all those years ago. And it's a wonderful network to be on because we're really inspiring people. And so many of these shows do, and particularly on Voice America. So check out other shows on this network as well. And this program specifically helps you to turn your problems into solutions and your obstacles into opportunities. It's what I've always been doing in the media because it's really what I believe in. I believe in empowerment and breaking through those those obstacles. And today's no exception. My guest is Maria Espinoza, and she's the author of several books, but she's the author of a new novel, and it's called Suburban Souls. And she's a former Bay Area resident who now lives in Albuquerque, and she's been an author for over 50 years. Maria is a novelist, a poet, a translator, and a teacher who's been reviewed in many journals. Her fifth and most recent novel is Suburban Souls, and it tells the tale of German-Jewish Holocaust survivors in 1970s San Francisco. And she uses her own life experience as a catalyst. She's an American Book Award winner, and she shows that despite tragedy, we can be resilient and still bring joy and happiness into our lives. And so uh, she will share the story, and it's very much about human connection. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Patricia. I'm very glad to be on your show. Thank you. And yes, I would love to talk about Suburban Soul. Yeah. So what led you to write this novel? Well, it's based on people that I've known very well, although I've changed their lives, changed their characters, you know, translated them into the fiction that works with the story I need to tell with the underlying truths underneath their lives. In other words, mm. sometimes, well, in order to avoid being sued for plagiarism and also because it makes a more cohesive, dramatic whole, I try to get to the the core truth underneath the individual events. Hmm. Was there um, an event um, around this story in your own life that, that um, was a motivator for you to write this? I think the theme of loneliness and of being isolated from your husband, your lover, being isolated as a teenager, trying to grow up and feeling very much alone Hmm. and feeling the dissonance of the adults around you and trying to find some kind of identity, some kind of cohesive wholeness within yourself. Right. And the reason for the loneliness was... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. I think in my own life... Going to the commune that I describe in the novel had for me a very healing and positive effect. Why don't you give us some background? Give us some background of all of that with how that happened and the background of the Holocaust. Share a little background about the story. Okay. Well, the story opens with Saul and Gerda, two adults in their 30s, Driving from California, from Chicago to California where they're going to start a new life, free from their families, from their old constricting 
families. They've both survived the Holocaust. They're both German Jews born, came to the United States as children or as an adult, adults. Uh, Gerda came as a six-year-old child. Saul came as a young adult after time in a kibbutz. Both of them narrowly escaped Germany, narrowly escaped concentration camps. But they grew up with all that sense of danger and of being in mm. being a culture that people wanted to exterminate, being a member of a race or a culture that people simply wanted to exterminate. That has an effect, even if it's subliminal, even on a small child. So they have very orthodox, conservative families in Chicago. They want to start life anew. They drive to California. Saul gets a job as a chemist with a national laboratory, and they settle in an affluent suburb in the East Bay. Mm-hmm. They have three children. The loneliness between them just grows intense over the years. Mm. And she has a very traumatic child, had a very traumatic past. He had a more normal childhood. Mm-hmm. But she is really scarred in many ways. And she becomes mm-hmm. hysterical as he fails to listen to her, as he fails to have any kind of empathy or sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. This drives her really up the wall and she becomes more and more unhinged. Mm-hmm. So their relationship becomes more and more unbalanced. She spends time in a mental hospital. Uh, the conflict takes its toll on her children, especially the oldest daughter, Hannah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Hannah identifies with both parents. She's sensitive. She's bright. She finally escapes. Hitchhikes away from home. This is the mid-60s, mid-70s, mm-hmm. where these things were mm-hmm. impossible. Yeah. Her kids still hitchhike around the country. And he, she goes to a kind of a hippie commune in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's also a Buddhist commune. And there she eventually finds some kind of wholeness to her life. Mm. Meantime, her, her mother is totally unhinged by the girl's disappearance, wants to come and rescue mm. her. The father is yeah, let between. me ask you, it's, it's amazing as you're talking, but I just want to ask you why you chose to write about the family of a Holocaust survivors. Was this close to your own experience? What, why, about why did you choose this? Patricia, that's an interesting question. I don't have family close to me that was involved or scarred by the Holocaust, but it scarred me mm. just from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up with that boring memory, and then mm-hmm. people with whom I was intimately involved in my life barely did escape the Holocaust. I must know half the Holocaust survivors in Berkeley. <laughs> I've met so many of them. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, we're coming up on a break, I want to ask you, do you think that one can shed the horrors of the Holocaust and other tragedies? I mean, when something's that deeply ingrained, and as you said, you've seen it as you grew up, you know, in uh, in that area. You yeah. said you grew up in, in the San Francisco area where you saw a lot of people who'd been Holocaust survivors or Holocaust survivor children. Do you think that we can shed mm-hmm. those those horrors? Well, I know that it it becomes part of one's genes. I almost one I almost feel as though it's in my blood. As though yeah. even if there had never been a Holocaust, there would be some part of me that was 
going back through all kinds of ancestral memories back, you know, hundreds, hundreds of years. So that in my bones, I had memories of persecution, of fleeing from pogroms. In fact, some of my earlier novels, I write about that. In fact, my very first novel called Dark Plums, out of nowhere, a German-Jewish Holocaust survivor simply appeared in my mind. It's the only character I've never consciously created. It simply appeared. So it was some sort of racial memory that was coming down Mm. through me. And he is a very guilt-ridden, very ethical, kind man who was providentially out of the country, out of Germany, at the time that his family were taken to concentration camps. He feels tremendous guilt about that. There's a lot of guilt that runs through for, for so many people. We've got a minute to break in this first segment. So I do want to ask you this. Um, do you feel that in this novel and other novels that you've written and you've written, um, you know, been an author for over 50 years, is there a common thread in these, do you find, um, in everything you write in terms of healing? Um, that's a question. That's a good question. It's hard to answer that. Really, they all come out of my own subjective experience. Right. And as I, the more I write, the more I get into other characters. The more as I imagine other characters, the more my, I expand and become more empathetic, more sense of what are they going through, trying to get inside their skin. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I look back on it after all this lifetime of writing, and I realized that my whole lifetime goal, even unconscious in writing, was simply to expand my compassion. Mm. As I write about these characters, I have to identify with what they're feeling, what they're thinking. Yes. And I don't know why I had to do this. It just seemed like part of my karma, part of what I was destined to do in this life. Interesting. And right, I'm not take a break. anything else. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Maria Espinoza, who is a prolific novelist. Her latest book is Suburban Soul, and we'll talk more about like why she chose a suburban setting and really the whole idea about pressure and liberation and freedom and being able to um, break through that and find connection. And we'll talk about that. That's really the theme of this program is how do you overcome and survive tragedy and trauma and um, find your way back to wholeness and connection. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Program right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. are listening to the Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to the Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. And my guest is Maria Espinosa. She's the author of the novel Suburban Souls. And this is her fifth and most recent novel. And it tells the tale of a German Jewish Holocaust survivors in 1970 San Francisco. And she's an American Book Award winner. And she shows that despite tragedy, we can be resilient and still bring joy and happiness into our lives. And so, again, we're talking about this experience and, uh, and also her own trials um, with suffering and how we can really understand and bring to a new level the human connection that transcends the norms permitted by society. All right. So welcome back, Maria. Okay. So let's talk about, yeah, you're welcome. Let's talk about, um, you know, the characters and how the characters really move from you know, they long for freedom. You said one of them just leaves. Uh, compare this and talk about how the pain of the Holocaust and the background uh, as a setting, how she moved through this to start to reach freedom and connection. Well, she's a child of Holocaust survivors. And so although she didn't intimately, immediately experience running, you know, near escape from a concentration camp from Germany from death. She feels it in her parents. It's just in the air atmosphere, in the air she breathes. And the war, the whole experience has traumatized both her parents in different ways. Her father, a scientist, is just very emotionally reserved. Her mother, who had a much more difficult family background, is scarred not only by the 
Holocaust survival, which put her parents and her whole family under enormous tension, but scarred also by her personal growing up experience with her particular family. And she takes all this anguish and tries to find some kind of healing through Saul, her husband. Her desperation only drives him away, and she becomes more and more histrionic, hysterical, emotional, unhinged. All this affects her daughter, Hannah, her oldest daughter. And Hannah, in her own way as a teenager, as a young teenager, tries to find freedom through escape. She feels somehow the only way she can find her own wholeness is by running away. And she finds, by great good luck, she finds a commune, a hook, a Buddhist commune, a hippie commune back in the early 70s in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And although she's not wholly healed at the end, you feel glimmers of hope. There's a sense of hope for her. In my own life, I have to say, I felt a lot of parallels with a young girl. Not, not that there was outward dissonance in my family, but there was a lot of tension. My parents were far from the Holocaust. But in my own life, I suffered a lot while I was growing up in various different ways. Ended up in a mental hospital having a breakdown at the age of 19. Mm. was analyzed as schizophrenic, which I think was absurd, but I was certainly distant from reality, from people. Mm. And over the years, how have I found my way back to wholeness? Well, I'm now I'm an old woman. I'm 82 years old. Mm. <laughs> and I feel, God, you know, the old adage, if, well, if youth would and age could, I feel finally at the age of two, or 82, I've reached some kind of wholeness and sanity and much more compassion than I've ever had for any, for other people and for myself as well. And my own path has been to writing, actually, through writing first my own experiences in very autobiographical work, and then writing through other people's experiences and learning to empathize and imagine other people's worlds. Mm. Mm. And somehow that has been a very healing path for me. I had tremendous anger toward my mother, in particular growing up. Very dissonant, caring kind of experience. And I've written about her in two different novels, and more obliquely in other novels. But somehow this experience of writing, trying to imaginatively inhabit her world, has been a tremendous healing. And yeah. if you believe in any kind of afterlife or, or idea that the spirit lives on, I somehow feel that she senses this. And even though she's long gone, I have these imaginary conversations with her where I try to send her mm-hmm. love and try to communicate, even though it's yeah. beyond the grave. Do you feel, Maria, that this is a wonderful outlet for people who want to heal? that you can heal through the writing and uh, it releases the emotions, but it can transform them as well because you start to see that person more objectively because you're writing from a different perspective. Absolutely. For me, it's been a wonderful path, but it's certainly not the only path. My father 
was a sculptor. For him, the path to some kind of wholeness in his own being was sculptor, was drawing, sculptor, making visual what he needed to express somehow. Or, you know, his fascinated with the outward world. He was really very much called to do this, even against his family's wishes. So, yeah, I think paths are various. My younger brother is a composer, and for him, this path is through music. For me, it was writing. I didn't have any... I would... I didn't have a choice. I would prefer not to be a writer. It's really not much Yeah, fun that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I can relate to that as a, as a broadcaster because my whole mission for decades has been to show the positive sides and to show the inspiration, and I think that's been a healing for me. To be able to bring out these stories to the forefront has really healed me and many other people. So I, I really understand that concept of, you know, there's a saying... There's a book by um, Richard Bach, and it's called um, Illusions. And in Illusions is a seagull. His name is Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And he has a quote that I kind of, it's really my motto, and it's, you teach others what you need to learn most for yourself. And I think that's, that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. That's what a lot of us do, I think, to heal and to help others along the way. Oh, it's so true. It really is true. Yes. So let's talk a little bit more about your writing. We have a few more minutes to the next break. Um, Your writing is noted for its precision and clarity. And you say that you write many drafts. Yes, I think it's so important to get the exact word or the exact phrase because it connotes a whole sense in itself drives me nuts. I wish I didn't have to be that much of a perfectionist. I think I really learned it from my mother, who would have me read her, I'd read her my school papers, and she'd say, no, no, not that word, that word. And she herself was a poet. But yeah, I think it's very important to be really precise. What is this person actually feeling, saying, doing? What is the sky really like? No, mm. really, truly wrong. It's if I were a painter, because I'm very visual, and I tend to see things very, very visually. Mm. Yeah. And that was the next question, is have you considered or other forms of artistic expression beside the writing? Oh, I love to dance. That is the one thing that gives me so much joy, is dancing, singing. I love to sing. Mm. I like to play the guitar. I like to improvise on the piano. Although my brother is about 10,000 times better than I am. But that's a really love singing, dancing, especially dancing. Mm, painting. Sure. We'd like to take more painting, more sculpture, all these in another lifetime. <laughs> so bring us a little bit further on the journey of the, of the novel. And we're going to take a break in a minute, but just kind of. What happens next? Just a little sneak preview so that when we come back, we can talk more about the evolution of the characters and how, you know, they move more toward healing and connection. So what's what's the next little part? Hmm. The next part of the, of the novel. Yes, of the novel. 
okay, the next part of the novel, how do I conceive of the characters? Yeah. Well, yeah. usually I conceive of them, often they're based on somebody I know. Not always, but often. And I may just get a flash of who they are. And then whether the character is based on someone real or someone imaginary, I start writing essentially through their sensibility. Hmm. I remember about what a 10-year-old Chinese boy I would start, which I have never tried to do, but if I were to do this, I would start trying to imagine his world. You know, what, what does he hmm. see when he looks out the window? What games yeah. is he playing with his friends? What's his school like? What are his parents like? And so mm. I would slowly start to move into his world. What is he wearing? What is he tasting? What is he seeing through the five yeah. senses? Yes. What are, who are his friends? That's really how I move slowly into a character. Mm-hmm. And then from then, if I wanted to build from scratch, I would give him some kind of incident that challenges him. Right. Uh, perhaps his That's mother true. has lost the money for the groceries for the month and they have no money for groceries and the father is quite a tyrant and he's a child watching it. How is he going to deal with it? Yeah. Well, this is just made up at this instant as I talk, but that's the kind of process I think I go through. Yeah, interesting. All right, and on that note, um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, my guest is Maria Espinosa, and she's a novelist, a poet, a translator, a teacher. She's been reviewed and published as Weekly, Crocus Reviews, Library Journal, New York Review Book of Books, the San Francisco Chronicle, and she's been featured in Contemporary Authors Autobiographical Series. Um, we're going to talk more about her book, Suburban Souls, and it really brings the Jewish experience and her trials in a mental institution to the forefront. She's concerned with the new human connection on a level that transforms the norms permitted by society. And so we'll talk more in the novel about how we focus on the subtle, but also forces that really shape a human being and bring them from tragedy, you know, to healing. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice, and we will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, 
Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hi everyone we are back and very happy to bring you as we've been talking to maria espinoza who is the author of a novel called Suburban Souls. She's written many books. Uh, Her fifth and most recent novel tells the tale of German-Jewish Holocaust survivors in 1970 in San Francisco. She uses her own life experience as a catalyst. She's an American Book Award winner. And she shows that despite tragedy, we can be resilient and still bring joy and happiness into our lives. Welcome back, Maria. So take us there, how this person, um, this woman uh, survives. Now I know she runs away, and how does she then start to bring happiness into her life? Okay, Hannah is only 14 or 15 when she runs away because the tension in her own house is just unbearable and the loneliness that she feels. So she finds... A commune, a commune, a Buddhist commune, a hippie Buddhist commune in the Santa Cruz Mountains. This is early 1970s. And the people around her are very supportive. For the first time, she feels connected to people who really are on her side, who really try to understand her and who are gentle and sympathize with her and give her a sense of belonging. And, of course, it's a very tranquil, beautiful environment. It's a place where she can somehow lick her wounds and begin to heal and begin to begin to breathe easily, free mm-hmm. from all the trauma and the stress of where she had been living. But of course, that isn't enough. There's more to it. She still feels very chained to the past, very close to her mother who keeps calling her, telling her to return, screaming at her, crying at her. So Hannah still feels really quite conflicted, even in the commune, even though she's supported by people there. And she finds a boy that she becomes very fond of. Then she feels afraid until she has to run from him because she's afraid of being close. It will only hurt her. And, yeah, emotional closeness is really frightening because of the capacity to hurt wound also. So she runs from this emotional closeness with the boy named Sean and returns home for a very short time. Runs away back to the commune. And she becomes pregnant. She's only 15. Mm. Her mother has a fit. Her mother wants to immediately rush to her, have her get an abortion. Um, mothers or something. This is the early 70s. So things are a lot freer than they were even 10 years ago. So Hannah goes ahead and 
In the end, she has the baby. We don't know what's going to happen to her. We don't know if she's, what her life is going to be like. But we do get the sense that she's on the path to finding some kind of wholeness and peace in her life. Mm-hmm. So it's really, what's helped healer, I think, is partly the culture which has changed. The mid-70s is a time of expanding freedom in all ways, mm-hmm. in the East, at least in the West Coast. And that helped. In the 50s or early 50s, it would have been unheard of for her to run away to the commune. It just wouldn't have happened. Yeah, so but, so here's my question to you, Maria. Um, do you think a lot of this change comes from, you know, inherently our genes, our situation, um, just our nature, our personality, you know, the ability to be able to get through this? Um, does it depend upon the, the, the generation that we're in? Or do you think it's it just it's many different factors? That is a fascinating question. Yes, it depends on so much. Right now, I'm re- I'm looking at a series on television. What's it called? Downton Abbey. Yes, I, I've watched the whole changed. thing. I've watched the entire yeah. thing. Uh, I'm just kind of getting fixed by it. I've never really been so fixed by it before. I call it a high-class soap opera. Mm. And first, the, old, the oldest woman, the oldest heroine, Mary, yes. is caught with a man having spent a night in her bed. How shocking. And it's so shocking that she almost goes into marriage, somebody who knows about it, who's mm-hmm. in the media, just simply to escape. Well... A few then there's World War One that happens in the sequence I just saw. Her younger sister goes and spends the night with somebody and returns at six in the morning. Not a big deal. So everything has changed so much in ten years. What's okay? What can drive somebody to suicide into a right an illegitimate marriage? What's oh yeah that happened. So what? It just changes enormously. Having an illegitimate child in the 50s would have been horrendous. In the early 70s, it was almost hip, almost cool. So things mm-hmm. just change so much. And, of course, this affects how people live and how they evolve. Yeah. It's you know, so things. important. Yeah. And as you said, it's the time I was thinking about this as you were talking, that, you know, you think about a hippie commune, you don't see that today. Now what you see are those kinds of groups that are getting online. They're now social media. They're now having an influence through the airwaves globally because everybody can read. So it's like we've taken everything into an online virtual world that anybody can be part of at any time. So it's very interesting. To me, that is terrifying because what's online is so impersonal. And, of course, there's so much coming at you. There's just thousands and thousands of bits of information. And if you get into one group, you're going to come out with one worldview another group, an entirely different worldview, but there's no real human connection for me. There's no, you don't touch anybody, see anybody, smell anybody, (laughs) taste anybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just all virtual. And I I also hate Zoom, what, Zoom meetings. I have, I belong to two meditation groups that meet on Zoom, Mm -hmm. and I no longer go to Zoom. It's just too horrific. Afterwards, I have to go and meditate and clear my mind from looking at all these faces on the screen. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a point. The other point is that at least we have Zoom when we can't be together. You know, in 1918, they had nothing. So there is is a plus, even though it's not the same. 
Yes. Yeah, I understand. I think yeah. people are getting just much more impersonal. I mean, the automobile, look, when you had horses, you had to feed the horse, you had to stable the horse. Now we just have cars that you, you know, get the oil changed every few months and make sure you've got enough gas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. everything becomes much more impersonal and less sensory. And mm-hmm. to me, this is just terrific. I, yeah, it's a different, a very different world. So yeah. we've got a few more minutes before break. So let's take a look at, I, I'd like you to share a little bit about what you would advise today to people who are wanting to get, be creative and writing novels. Um, what would you advise to people today who are writing particularly uh, fiction Oh, for me, my only thing would be just say write. Well, for me, what was really wonderful, when I was about 19, I read a book called Becoming a Writer by a woman named Dorothea Brand. It's long out of print, but it's a classic. And I think it was a forerunner of all the other books that came out on writing. And what she said was simply set a timer, perhaps, for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, simply write down everything that comes in the mound. No censorship, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. nothing. Afterwards, you don't even need to read this. You can toss it. But what it does is it starts to free up your imagination, free up your mind. And for me, that was really an eye-opening way of looking at the work. Then later on, yeah. after you've done these, when you feel like, say, starting a story or a memoir, then you, conti- you continue with that free-flowing sort of stream of consciousness but then you have some material to work with and you can look at it and say, this works, it doesn't work, what do I want to add and do another draft, but you've got something to start with. Yeah. You've got some kind of meat, food or substance that you can deal with. Yeah. And for me, that's the most creating thing I can think of. And I would think the same is same with painting or with drawing or with composing first let things flow and then you start to edit them but you, but you can't edit if there's nothing to flow mm-hmm. and yeah. I have a friend who teaches creative writing Clive Matson is his name and he has an exercise where he calls let the child write that for me that's the, str- the free flow the stream of consciousness yes. you sit down yes. and you let the child in you then later after that you call in the adult the editor but not too soon yeah very interesting. If you don't have that free flow of imagination, of thoughts, then you're so constricted that you really can't see the richness of what you're trying to do. Yeah. All right. And on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to Maria Espinosa, who's the author of the novel Suburban Souls. And we'll talk about, um, you know, how we can really in today's world, uh, really connect and have that strong human connection. Now, with everything we've been through with COVID and a more virtual world, you know, how she sees that and how writing can certainly help, how it certainly helped to heal her and other and certainly her readers. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. And we'll be right back with Maria Espinosa.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com today our 40s sit firmly in midlife we are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead but now is the best time to plan for our future life listen for 45 forward with host ron roel From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hello everyone and we are back and we are back with maria espinosa and you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Maria Espinosa is a former Bay Area resident who lives in Albuquerque. She's been an author for over 50 years. She's a novelist, a poet, a translator, a teacher, and she's been reviewed in Publishers Weekly, Kirkus Reviews, Library Journal, New York Review of Books, the San Francisco Chronicle, and featured in Contemporary Authors Autobiographical Series. She's been talking today about her latest novel, her fifth novel, which is called Suburban Souls. And uh, it it's, uh, tells the tale of the German-Jewish Holocaust survivors in the 1970s San Francisco, and she uses her own experience as a catalyst. And uh, she keys in on her own leverage relationship with her mom. She talks about um, other experiences and brings her trials of being in a mental institution to the forefront. And this comes out in the novel in different ways. Her goal really is to really talk about the human connection and how this can transcend the norms that are permitted by our society. And her novels focus on the subtle as well as obvious forces that shape a human being. So welcome back, Maria, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about, um, you know, pieces of your novel and how you feel that this has helped you and other people to come to healing. Okay. Very good, Patricia. First of all, I want to say... Yes, 60 years ago really ages me. I am 82, and I feel as though I just lived not one lifetime, but several lifetimes. And to my shock and amazement, my novels are now treated as historical novels. Because I read about things that happened 50, 60 years ago. 
so, all right, how do, how do I, how do I heal myself? First of all, I want to say have fun, have some sense of humor. When you do, when you're writing, it doesn't have to be laborious. It can be awful. It can be a piece of garbage. So what? Just have fun with it. Let it go. And then afterwards, you can look at it and edit what you like if you plan to shape it as some kind of material, some form such as a story or a poem or an essay. And okay, how do I how do I heal? If that well, I I, I think the qu- the question is more how you feel that in the novel when you were writing about this, you know, and people then worked toward transformation. I mean, they went through a lot of tragedy, but what got them through? And maybe what you say to people today who are going through a lot of crisis, particularly during COVID. Uh, Well, okay, what really helped get me through it, and I think helped a lot of people too, was meditation. Um, Mm, For me, Buddhist meditation. For other people, it's perhaps transcendental, it could be Catholic meditation, Jewish meditation. For a long time, a book that I carried around with me in a backpack through Europe was a book by St. Ignatius Loyola called Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius, a Catholic treatise written, I believe, in the 15th century. And that sort of gave me a glimmer of meditation of introspection, which prepared me, I think, for a more contemporary Buddhist form of worship. Well, that, I mean, Buddhism is not contemporary, but for me it was contemporary. Anyway, I think that was really helpful. And through writing, I also began examining myself, not only myself, but other people, and I think that helped a lot. Mm. So that I wasn't mindlessly running through my life. Yeah. Yeah. So the writing helped, meditation helps. Right. And dance. I have to say I love to dance. Just being able to move is the most most wonderful thing. I I just love to dance. That's it. And sing. It's kind of moving around and swimming I love. I mean moving just physical yeah. Exercise, well, like, physical enjoyment. Of course, that um, releases the endorphins and the serotonin in the brain to really help and us. love helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really love, helps. connection, of course. So, yeah. uh-huh. do you want to share a little bit more about the novel Suburban Souls and kind of where, uh, where it goes, if you will, without giving away the whole story? Okay, well, Saul and Gerda, a young couple in their 30s are establishing a new life in the East Bay of San Francisco in the 1970s. It's a time of expansion, people searching to grow in all kinds of ways. There are excellent groups. There are all kinds of encounter groups. Um, The economy is fairly good. People have jobs. They have money. They have freedom to explore which they might not have had in a more, how can I, harsh sort of environment. Mm-hmm. Well, but there's an incredible kind of loneliness. Saul is quite reserved emotionally, and he feels quite distant from his wife, and 
who's so emotional and his her emotional outbursts drive him apart. And I think that happens. Not that happens. I've seen that in a lot of marriages mm-hmm. where a woman will tend to be much more outwardly expressive, and the guy just withdraws more and more and more. So she yeah. gets more and more anxious. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's very hard. Well, yeah. it's kind of a male-female dynamic that I've yeah. seen happen a lot. So we just have three minutes left for the interview. So I'd like yeah. to see if, um, to share how that, oh. does that work out in the book um, in yeah. terms of, you know, that um, different dynamic? Not for the, the husband and wife, not at all, no. I think the husband gained some kind of measure of compassion. And for the wife, it's too late. She's just been too damaged. Yeah. It's yeah. a tragedy for her. But she tries and she wants very much to save her daughter in all the wrong ways. Fortunately, she fails so that the daughter does survive. So I think also the novel is more a story of the 50s, of the suburbs, of the loneliness. Yeah, yeah. And we have loneliness today. You know, we have a lot of loneliness today. But the message I'm getting from you, and we have to close, but the message I'm getting is that, you know, when we find that, when we're in relationships where, you know, one of the genders, in this case the woman, is very emotional and the other person, the male, isn't listening, or it could be, you know, today we have different kinds of relationships. It could be uh, two women, two men. It could be different role reversals. So, But when we have that dynamic that's kind of disparate, um, and discordant, um, you know, maybe the maybe therapy is an answer, and maybe the answer is to move on and find a different relationship that doesn't have that dynamic in it. And I think... Um, oh, yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's Absolutely. something that, that we're looking at more today, I think, than we might have then. All right. Tell us, uh, Maria, how people can get your book. We have one minute left. Oh, okay. Well, it's available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, and you can learn more about the book and about me on my website, mariaespinosa.com. That's and then my name is M-A-R-I-A-E-S-P-I-N-O-S-A-Espinosa.com. Look for my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or look, check it out more about it on my website, also about my other books that are on my website. Thank you so much for being on the program, Maria. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. um, Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everyone, stay on the line for a minute. That wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. Uh, If you'd like to get a copy of my newsletter to see these wonderful guests, just write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com. And if you want to do your own podcast, your own program, I can help you put that together. I've interviewed 5,000 people in my career, so would love to do it. All right, everyone, have a wonderful week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.